Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Taking God at his word. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? However, many, most in the world don't take God at his word. Or what his word is, is debated, right? Is, it, is his word the Koran? Is his word the Book of Mormon? Is his word Hindu writings? Is his word the Bible? Is his word other books that are not in the Bible that we'd say the Apocrypha, which are some extra, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, there's a few extra books in there called the Apocrypha. We could name other things, right? So this big question is, not only should we take God at his word, and do we take God at his word, but then when we look at his word, whatever it is that we see, and we're going to obviously talk about the scripture because we think his word is the scripture, is the Bible. 66 books, right? 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, that's it. But then we got to say, okay, I believe that the Bible is God's word. But then even in the Christian community, there's debate about, well, is every word in there God's word? Or only some of it? Is some of it true and some of it's just not true because men wrote the Bible and obviously if ladies, men are flawed, amen, right? And so are we not, is the Bible not true because men wrote the Bible? Or did men just write the Bible under the inspiration of God? And what does that mean? And so today we're going to just scrape the surface of this a little bit. You know, as we've spent the last few years going through the entire book of John, and and there were some books before that we went through, I think Philippians and and Colossians, and then we spent almost eight or nine months going through the book of Hebrews, um, and now we're getting ready to take on 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, you know, like I said earlier, the Pauline epistles. There's this this question that comes to us, we're, we're going verse by verse to really understand what it says. And one of the things that matters is, is do we believe it's true? <laughs> like, I mean, like if we're going to do that, we must, do we believe it's true? Or are we just going through the motions to say, oh, well, there's some really good advice in here that, that God kind of threw out and men kind of made something of it and, and then we wrote it down. And, and yeah, there are some things, but you know. Now, that said, there are different types of of scripture, there's different types of genre, there's, there's poetry, there's historical things, there's parables, there's metaphors, uh, there's all sorts of things, there's imperatives where, where God is commanding us to do something, right? And so there's lots of different, there's prophecy, there's lots of different things. So when we read and study scripture, one of the things we always want to make sure is, is that we understand what we're reading. In other words, is this a parable? Well, that doesn't, that wasn't a historical event. It was something that God is using or Jesus is using to explain a spiritual truth in a very temporal way, telling some story about a farmer or about a fisherman or something. So, taking God at his word. Last week, I read to you from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And a big part of the message, if you remember, which studies show that most of you don't remember, um, We talked about truth, that man, humanity, suppresses truth. 
because we want to do what we want to do. And then we're going to see here, i just read this to you. It was, or at least, I think it'll be on the screen. Basically, I'll put the scripture up there. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 is the last verse that we looked at last week. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The point I was trying to make is, is that humanity suppresses the truth. And not only do we suppress it, but we know what the truth is. Much of the truth. We know the truth about that God exists and he is who he says he is. We don't know all the details and all his character, but we know who he is, that he exists. And we suppress that truth. And the reason we suppress that truth, my point last week, was so we can live how we want. Because anytime we put, we acknowledge who God is, that means that if he is creator of all things and he's sovereign, then we have to put ourselves underneath him and we don't want to do that. And so, but if we can erase God and say, well, he's, he's not really the truth, he's not really the creator, then I don't have to do that. So the world has got very good about doing that. Pluralism. So what is pluralism? Pluralism basically says that everybody has their own truth. And it's wrong for me to try and convince you of my truth because that would be disrespectful. I should respect your truth and I should respect your truth and your truth. And I should, everybody has their own truth. The postmodern movement several years ago really basically said, well... Truth really doesn't even exist. It's just how you feel. Just do what you want. What feels good, do it. And that's really kind of where we're at today in our culture. So as I got to thinking about this, I thought, well, you know, let's dive a little deeper into this idea of truth. Because if I'm saying that they denied the truth, well, how do we know that God is who he says he is? Right? I mean, what is truth? Now, I can tell you that Jesus says in John 14, 6, he is the truth, and I believe that. I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. All through the book of John, I tell you the truth. I am the truth, right? As Jim uh, Siggy likes to say, and the truth will set you free, right? Christ will set you free. Couldn't agree more. How do we know that Jesus is telling us the truth about him being the truth? Pretty profound question, right? I mean... How do, we, how do we know that? How do we rest in that, right? Because that's where a lot of people that you probably talk to says, well, how, I know you say that, but like just because somebody wrote that some 2,000 years ago, how does that mean that God is really the truth or whatever that is, right? The truth is a person. Some people say, well, the Bible says so. Well, then we must ask the question, how do I know the Bible's true? Right? There's this pursuit of truth and trying to figure this out. I mean, sinful men wrote it, right? So how can it be true? So here's, here's a, something to ponder. The Bible is either completely true, and we'll talk about what that means in a minute, partly cl- true, or completely false. Right? Only, only, I think there's only three. Is there another option I'm, I'm missing? One of the three things. It's either completely true, cover to cover, and we'll, we'll talk about what that means. Partially true, that's a real problem for us if that's the case. Or completely false. I think, because you're all here, you would not say that it's completely false. Most of you would probably say, no, it's not completely false. And I think, I'm not even going to spend time about that because I think it's evident that it's partially true for sure. I think it's fully true, but I'm just saying for anybody, it, it identifies creation, it identifies sin, it identifies there is a God, it identifies male and female, it identifies marriage, it identifies the government. It, it establishes all the foundations of, of 
of creation right there. The heavens declare the glory. It talks about the sky, the moon, the stars. It identifies all of it. And so even non-Christians look to the scriptures to say, yes, that's true, right? That's true. So only three possibilities. So we're going to rule out completely false because it's not even worth spending any time on. Now, if it's partially true, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this either, how do we know what parts are true? I mean, you know people that say, well, yeah, I believe that, but I don't believe that part. Well, okay, and, and that's historical. There's people that have picked and choose and pick and choose what they think is true. And, and then, then you have people that say, well, and no offense to anybody here, the King James is true, but not any other version, right? Okay, I don't agree with that. So when we talk about it being true, because it's true, and we look at, when, when something is true, what we say is, is that, you know, you'll hear this, and I'll talk about this in a minute, that, that it's inerrant, right? It's inerrant. It means there's no, um, there's no error. That doesn't mean it's precision perfect. And you may say, well, what do you mean? What I mean is that if I say, how old are you, and you say 40, well, not technically. You're 39 and so many days and so many minutes and so many seconds, right? So when we look at Scripture, it has no error in it, and it was, everything in it is true, but not to a precision like that, right? I mean, because that's not, that's not how we talk in our language, right? And so we, we want to be careful, but when it says spiritual things, when it says what happened, when it says historical things, it's true. It's, we, we believe it's inerrant. It doesn't have any error in it. And you say, well, yeah, but what about all the translations? So I would say that what what we would say is in the original form, the original text that was written, is without error. Now, when we translate things into other translations, okay, yeah, I'm going to say, I, I'm not saying that that is 100% inerrant. Now, I think that's why we use the ESV, because it is more literal word-for-word word in translation than, let's say, the Message Bible. It's more of a paraphrase. You can read that. I would just be careful studying that. That's it's not really what I would say the Word of God at that point. It's, it's, it's there. It's the, the meaning may be there. But if you really want to study and words matter, we want to make sure that we're looking at the closest words to what was in the original text. You say, yeah, but it's been translated so many times and, and we don't have those documents. I don't have time to go into all that, but you should research that. There's more documents, scriptural documents, uh, copies of the documents than any other literary piece of work in all of history. 99% of every word in Scripture can pretty much absolutely be proven to be consistent all the way back. Now, do we have the, the letter that, that Peter wrote? No, we don't have the actual letter. But there's so many copies of things like that that we can begin to validate that it is true, right? And so... If it's true, it means God has revealed himself to us. How we respond to this revelation or how we respond to him in his word will determine what? How we live and where we will spend eternity. So that's why this is important. And I would even argue that in the culture that we're living in today, um, maybe like no other in, in our history, in, in our time, in America, since its founding, there's a chance that our, our faith in the church will be persecuted in a way that it's never been persecuted 
before in our lifetime. Now, I'm an older guy, so maybe I won't see much of it. But if, if God allows me to continue to live, there'll be, I mean, already right now, I could share story after story after story after story what's happening in America. And, and I'm not here to have doom and gloom because we're saved. We, we, Christ is for us, and who can be against us? I mean, I, I'm not going to paint doom and gloom. I think we have to be aware of it, though. And so here we have this, this foundation in Christ, but it's going to get tough. Well, here's the thing. When the storm comes, what does Scripture say? What's your house built on? Is it built on a rock? Is it built on sand? And you say, well, it's obviously built on Christ. He is our rock. But we, we come to know him at a deeper level and more intimate level through the text of Scripture. So, you, so, we, so there's people out there say, well, I believe in Jesus, but, and I, I won't... I don't want, I want to be careful here because I've not listened to a lot of this, but there's a very, very popular, um, and I'm not saying he's not a Christian by any means, a very popular pastor right now um, that has thousands and thousands and, and really a nationwide ministry, and, and he has some statements that cause me great pause. And I, I've, I've tried to understand and be gracious to what he's trying to say, but he's saying we need to disconnect ourselves from the Old Testament. And, and it's about Jesus, because there's things in the Old Testament that don't make sense to people. Maybe, maybe did happen, maybe didn't happen. I'm like, okay, why then can you trust the New Testament, right? And his name is Andy Stanley. Now, I would encourage you to go and do some research there. I've only seen parts, so I, I don't want to, I'm not judging him completely. I'm just saying we have to be very careful Sometimes in the desire to, to win people to Jesus, we begin to say, oh, that's hard to understand, so don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. No. Who do we believe is transforming us? God is. Not man's unique ways of twisting things and making it work so that we understand. If we can't come to the text and say, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is what reveals this to me, then we're saying it's up to me to somehow manipulate the text to convince you, and we don't want to go there. <laughs> so, I don't have a big idea for you this morning, but I have a question. Can we trust what the Bible says is true? That's, that's what we want to look at. Can we trust what the Bible says is true? So, I've already talked about this idea that is it inerrant, right? Um, completely truthful, no falsehood. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Taking God at His Word, says this. I, I liked how he put this. The Word of God always stands over us, and we never stand over the Word of God. Pretty simple. The word of, we never stand over the Word of God. That means we can't come into the Word of God and say, oh, I say this, and I said, who became the authority at that moment? We did. And, and that's happening in our world all over the place. It's happening in denominations. We are saying, oh, that's not sin. Oh, abortion's not wrong. It's not. Homosexuality is not sin. There's more. Than, I mean, we are stepping over the word of God and we're taking authority. We are not taking God at his word. We're saying, well, I don't know. People didn't get it right. They misunderstood God. Now, God really didn't mean that, right? God didn't really mean that. Infallible. It's another word sometimes you'll hear. Basically, infallible means that it's inerrant and infallible would kind of say there's no way that it can ever have any error in it. In other words, it's infallible. There's, if God spoke it and God is inspired it, it is impossible. It's infallible. There's no opportunity for it to be wrong. Sometimes you hear the word the authority of Scripture, right? The authority of Scripture. 
in Bible Doctrine, which is a small book on the top 20 Christian beliefs, Wayne Grudem writes this about the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any words of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. That's heavy. True, but heavy. If we say, well, I want to believe this, but I'm not going to believe that, then we're in a place of disbelief. Now, we may not rightly interpret things, absolutely. Look, we don't have all truth. Do you have to understand every word of God, every scripture, every passage to be saved? Absolutely not. We, we all live in error at some level when we come to the word of God. We are striving for truth. We're digging. Well, we hope we are. The problem is, and part of the challenge is that many, even in the church, don't strive, don't, don't work at it, don't research, because it seems a little overwhelming. And so we just kind of say, well, I just believe in Jesus. Okay? I'm not saying that you're not saved, but I'm saying if a storm is coming, you need to be much more grounded than that. If you want to share your faith, and people are going to have questions in our culture. I've said for many times that, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I'm so thrilled and blessed that God has allowed me to be a pastor. And, and, um, but I'm like, couldn't it have been like 50 years ago, Lord? Because <laughs> we wouldn't have had to deal with transgender and, and evolution and, and create. I mean, you know, like, did, did everybody evolve? I, I don't, I can't, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a sociologist. I, I, don't, I don't understand biology in the way that, you know, some people are talking about. Now the pastor has to kind of be able to answer all of these things. What about this? What about this? What about this? And, and so it's become harder. Now we keep going back to the word of God, but people are going to have questions. And so you need to be rooted and grounded in scripture so you can answer their questions. If you have children, they're going to ask questions. Why do you think when kids go off to college, many of them turn away? Because people there are giving them a worldview that is not biblical. And they've not obviously been grounded in the truth of the word when they go. Whose responsibility is that? That's ours. That's yours. That's not Sunday morning. Why well, I took them to church. Pastor Raleigh must not have done a very good job. <laughs> right? And while that would be true at some times, your responsibility is to get them in the word. To teach them. So, for some people, I mean, how we look at the word is going to determine how we live. How we look at the word may determine why we die. Think about that. If you're grounded in the word and you believe it is absolutely true, and we see this obviously in the Old Testament, the disciples lost their lives. Paul loses his life. John is the first one to get his head cut off because he believes in the word. He stands on it. There are people all over the world that have stood on the word of God and lost their life or been imprisoned. So how you view the word of God, how you're rooted in the word of God, may determine why you die. You may die because you are rooted in the word of God. It clearly will determine who, who befriends you, who, who comes alongside you, who, who has friendship with you, right? Because, And I'm not saying that we should be harsh, we should be loving, we should be open. But if you're going to stand on the word of God, there's going to be times when people are going to shun you at the very minimum. Now today, I could talk to you about the historical accuracy of this text. That's something you should research. I think it's usually historically accurate. I think it's beautiful. Uh, the Book of Mormon, um, if you've ever read any part of it now, I won't get into all of this, but basically it talks about all these cities and all these things and wars and, and anthropologists went all over the world and they can't find anywhere where any of that looks like it took place. <laughs> like it's, it's not there. 
Well, why? Because Joseph Smith made it up, right? When we look at Scripture, we can say Bethlehem. Oh, yeah, I can show you that. The Red Sea, yep, I can show you that. Israel, yep, I can show you that. We can look at archaeological digs, and we can see it. We can, we can see that the Canaanites existed. We can see that Pontius Pilate, there's a coin, right? We can see all those things. We can see Egypt. We can see the pyramid. We can see it all. We know that it's historically rooted in a place that we can understand that was really there. But I'm not going to talk about that. Internally consistent. What does that mean? From cover to cover, over thousands of years, it's consistent. It tells one story. It tells the story of, of, of God's creation, the fall, uh, how he redeems us, the, the Christ comes on the scene, and he dies and redeems us, and there's salvation. It goes back to eternity. It's from Garden of Eden to a new heaven and a new earth, right? The beauty, everything is perfect, how man messes it up, how God redeems man, if we will come to know him and surrender our lives to him, and then back to glory again, and he restores everything. That's the story. And it's consistent. Book of Mormon, one book. Now, every prophet, of, every prophet, new prophet of the Book of Mormon or in the Mormon faith um, has been able to add books. It's continuing revelation. So the guy at the top, he can add to it. Not scripture. It's been closed. The canon has been closed. God says, I've spoken. Here it is. It's sufficient. It's done. It's, here it is, right? But isn't it interesting? One guy wrote that. The Quran, right? Muhammad. The Bible probably has some 35 authors over thousands of years. What are the odds that that could all fit together? That's just not even, I mean, we could stop right there. That's a mic drop moment, you know? I mean, it's, it's done. But yet we still choose not to believe. We suppress the truth. We deny the truth of God for a lie. Why? Because we want what we want. Just to remind you what we talked about last week. So, I could tell you that it contains prophecies that were fulfilled hundreds of years after they were made. We've looked at some of those several months ago. We talked about one. We look at, obviously, Isaiah and 700 years early predicts how Jesus will die. It's just spot on. We could look at how it influenced the course of history more than any other piece of literature. Clearly, it sets our time. Today is 2023 because of the death and resurrection of Christ. I could tell you that it's a profound, it has such profound teaching more than any other book. It's more profound and more people read it all over the world, non-Christians, and everybody would agree that it is the most beautiful, profound book of teaching in the world. But then they would say, but it's not the word of God. Because I don't have to submit to that. Instead, I want to take you quickly through just a passage. It's only, we're not going to dig, dive deep into this passage, but I wanted to root our conversation today in a passage. And so we're going to be looking at 2 Peter, which is what Lester read this morning, verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. And we're just going to look at three quick high-level things that the passage says, and that we can say, okay, why, why is the Bible true? And remember, we're just going to scratch this. You need to go and dig and research and, and really strengthen your faith, right? Um, get rooted in the Scripture. Read. Study. You're not going to understand every piece of Scripture. You're not going to have full understanding. If we had full understanding of this incredible text, I would argue that we would be God. 
And obviously that's not the case. So the first thing I want to show you here in the text, in verses, really just verse 16, it contains eyewitness testimony. It contains eyewitness testimony. Let's just read this, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Okay, so in our court of law today, you have two things that a defense attorney or a prosecutor is going to present. The most powerful thing is eyewitness testimony. Most powerful. And then there's documents that would support circumstantial things and facts and videos. I mean, there's documents, right? And what do we have? What has God given us? He's given us eyewitness testimony. Lots of eyewitness testimony. Not just one person. Lots. And he's given us tons of documents that affirm all of the past, that affirm who we are, who he is. It describes all of it, where we're going, why, why, what happens when we sin, what's happening in the world. As I've said before in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, there's a narrow way and m- m- few will find it. Wide is the gate and many will go that way. And when I look at the world today, I'm saying that's exactly the way the world is. If it would be any other way, that would be False. So our world is absolutely validating the truth of Scripture. Lord has given us eyewitness accounts. Now what he's going to do here, Peter's going to, just so you know, Peter's talking to this, he's writing this letter in 2 Peter to be able to tell them, um, first of all, that, that there are false teachers, and he's wanting to, to them to really understand that this is true, what he's saying, right? Even in the first century, they're, they're saying, okay, what? Jesus got raised from the dead. No, he's, he's really trying to establish a grounding of truth, a foundation of truth for these people, because he knows that at some point the Lord is going to come back, and they need to be found in Christ, and so here, what he's really referencing is this, this eyewitness account. Obviously, they lived several years with him, three years with him, and, and saw many things. But you're going to see in the next passage here in a few minutes, in 17 and 18, he's really talking about this, this moment, I think, of, at the Mount of Transfiguration, where, where Jesus had a few of his disciples. Peter, James, and John were with him. And something absolutely stunning takes place. So I'm going to take you there right now. It's found in Matthew I'm going to read the whole thing, chapter 17, 1 through 6. Chapter 17, 1 through 6. Jesus takes these men, and, and they go up high on a mountain, and this is what he says. It's what Matthew records. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice From the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their face and were terrified. So here in Peter, when Peter's saying, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
That's what Peter's remembering. Now, I don't know about you, but when his face turned bright, I would have been fearful right at that moment, right? I, I, did, I wouldn't have needed to wait to hear the Lord God the Father speak, right? They had an opportunity to see Jesus in his glory for all that he is. Be overwhelmed. God gave them the opportunity to be an eyewitness of that. And it transformed their life. Here we see Moses and Elijah. These guys have been dead for many, many years. And yet it's interesting that they knew them. Right? I think that's always interesting. People say, well, we know each other in heaven. Well, I don't know. These guys came back from the dead in, in their glorified bodies, and we knew them. And there was a relationship. They knew who they were. In fact, he was saying, hey, we should build some tents so we can have some sleep, right? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I like the next three words. Listen to him. Right? I mean, okay, you're on your face before God right now. What I really want you to understand, you need to listen to him. Because he has the words of life. And they're true. Not, not we're going to parse them out and see what about this, what about this. No, listen to him. All of it. Everything he is. He is the truth. We see him say that about himself later. So we have eyewitness testimony. We could go multiple places of eyewitness testimonies. But let's see what John, or Peter goes on to say here in verse 17 and 18. He says, For when we received honor and glory from God, the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. I think he's looking back now at this moment here on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. This is an historical event that took place. This is not a parable. This is not a metaphor, an analogy. This is not any of that. This is an historical event, a document that is describing what took place. It is infallible and inerrant. Now, is it precision? In other words, is every little detail outlined for you? No, because that's not the point. The point is to tell you that they were there and they were overcome by God coming down and speaking to them and speaking to his son and, and lighting up Jesus and showing his glory. That's what God is trying to communicate. Just like if I asked you what your age was, I'm not asking to the minute. I'm just saying, well, how old are you? That's all I need to know. I also appreciate John, obviously, John was there as well, and I don't know what necessarily John is referring to here. I think this is more of a, a full ministry, a full three years of ministry and friendship and, and fellowship with Jesus when he speaks here in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It's always just moves me a little bit. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John is saying, I saw him. I saw him. 
for three years. I walked with him. I touched him. I heard him. I'm testifying about him. It's eyewitness testimony. And then what we could say is, well, these men died for that because of that eyewitness testimony. That's a whole nother piece of why we should continue to believe. So the first point, it contains eyewitness testimony, which I think helps us understand that the Bible is true. Second thing, it has been confirmed through prophecy. It has been confirmed through prophecy. As I said earlier, a few months or so ago, we looked at Isaiah and 51, and we see um, just that whole progression of what Jesus said or what Isaiah says, and um, it's just overwhelming, right? He paints this picture of who Jesus is, and and um, fifty-three. Did I say fifty-one? 53. So, what does he say here in the text, though? What does what does Peter say? Verse twenty. It says, "Knowing this, first of all, I'm sorry, wrong word. And we have a prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. There it is again. Like, listen, pay attention." as to a lamp shining in the dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Hear that first line there in verse 19. It says, we have a, the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What he's saying is, is we've had the word of God. We've, we've had the Old Testament scriptures. We've had them. We've seen them. They were written down for us. This wasn't an, just an oral thing. They had the word, but it's been more fully confirmed. Jesus has fulfilled these things in our presence right here. We've seen him and we've touched him. He's here. It's more fully confirmed. We believed it, but now it's even more believable. And see, that's one of the reasons why I think we need to continue to dig and study Scripture because we say, well, I believe. Okay, but your belief is, I don't want to say shallow, but it's, it is, our belief sometimes is shallow. It's, it's not rooted deep enough. And so when the storm comes, we get moved, right? We get persuaded. Fear moves us. Sin moves us. The desire to fit in moves us. And so the deeper we get rooted into these core principles of who Jesus is and, and the prophetic things and we trust the word of God, when you begin to read scripture, it, it not only changes you, but you are more in an awesome stance. In other words, you're, you're overwhelmed by who God is. It's not just reading pages on a book all of a sudden. It is, it is hearing the word of God speak to you. Once again, it says, you will do well to pay attention. Church, we need to pay attention to the word. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That morning star is talking about Christ. Okay? So, Confirmed by prophecy, hundreds, some theologians say maybe more, almost 2,000 prophetic things in Scripture have, have panned out and, and proven to be true. Obviously, when we look at uh, the resurrection, we, we look back in the Old Testament, we, we see all of these things. And, and there's not only prophetic things directly, but they're, they're pictures of the future. We've, we've talked about many times, you've heard me say, you know, the first death in the garden when God kills an animal and clothes them, right? That's... That's a picture of what's coming, thousands of years away yet. And once again, you're wearing clothes because of that moment, right? Because God made us coverings. 
just, it's just beautiful, simple things that just remind us that the Scripture is true. So here's the third thing. Not only do we have eyewitness testimony and it's been confirmed through prophecy, but it was given to us by God. See, because here's the thing. We could say, well, yeah, I, be- I believe that there's eyewitness testimony and that part of the Scripture is true. And I believe that there were some prophecies that came true. Okay, you got me there. But everything in Scripture is true? Come on. Not everything, right? I mean, okay, I, the eyewitness, I won't argue with that one. Okay, that prophetic thing, that seems pretty, that seems pretty cool. Yeah, you're probably right. That probably did happen. But what about this one? What about this one? What about this one? And there are going to be some things that we come to that we will not have an answer for. We won't. Because God is not revealing that to us right now for whatever his reason is. He said, oh, that's a cop-out. No. No, I don't believe that it is. Let's read verse 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Just saying, okay, just in case you're wondering where this came from, didn't come from man. We didn't make this up. We didn't, we didn't think all this up. No prophecy, Peter is saying, has ever come from men. No one, it's, it's not under someone else's interpretation. In other words, Matthew or Peter here didn't have some information and then they interpreted it and it was wrong when they interpreted it. Because that's what everybody would say. Well, it was wrong when they interpreted it. When they wrote it down, they misunderstood something, surely, because they're fallible. No, because they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's why we call it the inspired text. And I don't have time to go into all of this, but this idea of being inspired means that, that God is working through people to write truth. Yet, under the, the character of that individual, under the the personality of that person, how they write, what they write, how they speak it, how they write it down, it's it's there. It's their unique personalities in there. But everything is true because God inspires the truth of Scripture to be put out through that. Just like if if you were to come to me and, and I would get some information, I would tell the story, and someone else would tell you the story. We would both tell the story. We may not put all the facts together, but everything we both said would be true. Not unless we decided to lie about it. But, but it's going to be told differently. I'm going to be a little bit more loud. Use a few more words. Brian's going to be just funnier. <laughs> right? He's, he's just going to be more subtle and just beautiful in how he brings the, and his love for certain things is going to show differently. But it's all true. And so, yes, it's written by many people. And that's the beauty of the text. That it all fits together with 35 different authors. Because that's what makes it valid. It makes it, it confirms it. No other book, no other religious book has been put together like that. None. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. For what, <clears throat> excuse me. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
given to man. That's why we say that it's inspired. It's God works, and, and, and then man, God's desire and purpose was that man would write it down for future generations. The Old Testament, and I'm not going to get into all of that, but hundreds of times, what does the authors of the, say, in the Old Testament say? Thus says the Lord. <laughs> they clearly say, not me. This is coming straight from God. Thus says the Lord, right? I want to take it to 2 Timothy. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because here in a few months we'll, we'll be diving into this text, but I think this is appropriate for today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This is kind of the, I would say, the linchpin of, of God's inerrancy and infallible scripture and that it has been given by him. Verse 14. But as, you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, right? knowing that from whom you learned it, and how your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. He's, he's talking to Timothy here. He was taught by his grandmother, and he's been taught up and raised in these things. And Paul's saying, remember who taught it to you. Remember what you believed. It's sacred writings, right? These are things that were true. These weren't just opinions by some writer in the Old Testament. He's reminding Timothy these things are true. They're sacred. They're the word of God. And so to put a, a better exclamation point on it, what does he say? which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then here it is. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Pretty conclusive there. All Scripture has been breathed out by God. You say, well, but who chose what got in the Bible and what didn't? That's a whole nother discussion, but one that you should research. The Old Testament was already firmly established. It wasn't like the early church had to figure out what Bible, what books of the Old Testament were going to be. The Jewish people already had them, and we just said, yes, that's true, and they went on. And, and just real quickly, the 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 scriptures, the New Testament letters, the primary thing were people that either knew Jesus or lived at the same time that he lived and saw it, right? And so that's why you don't see things that are written in 100 you know, AD in scripture. You could have wrote something, everybody's dead. No one could refute that. These men wrote things that when their people are reading them, they said, well, that's not true. They could say, that's not true, I was there, Right? That's what's what the, the early church fathers looked at and says, this is why we're going to include these. And I believe that was also under the, the inspiration and the direction of God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Okay, so if, if, it, if, it's, not, if it's not profitable, if, if I can't use it to reprove and correct... That means it has to be true because if it's not true and I'm using it to correct you or reproof you, that would be wrong because it wouldn't be correct. I'd be, I'd be basing my correction on something that's not foundationally true. For training in righteousness, the right way of living. Titus chapter 1, I'm not going to go there, but basically says God never lies. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says, it is impossible for God to lie. 
So if it's all breathed out by God, and God says that it's been breathed out by him, and he can't lie, I think the deduction is it's true. And you say, well, I need a higher authority to validate that. God has sworn by himself. You see that in Scripture. <laughs> he can, who else is he going to swear by? There is no higher authority to validate. When you want to validate something, you go to the highest authority. And God says, okay, I'm the highest authority. I will swear that what I've said is true. And if God is going to be holy and just and righteous, he can't lie. It's impossible. He would cease to be just. Luke 24, in the Gospel of Luke 24, 25. Speaking here, we were talking about paying attention and make sure we listen to him. Jesus says, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. What does Jesus say? He says, you're not paying attention to what, what's been written down. And you're foolish. You're foolish. What do you, what do you think? What do you think is God is telling his, the world today? The church even sometimes. You're foolish. I've told you the truth. You're just denying it. You're suppressing it. Because of your sin, just believe what I've told you. Conform your life to it, right? What are we, what are we transformed by? What, is, what does Paul say? We're, which, our minds are transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? By the reading of the word, the teaching of the word. The word transforms us. Because it's true. It, it has power. It is, is not just a literary document that has been wonderfully written. It is truth. That's why James loves, James, see, he loves that the truth will set you free because it is true. It has power. It tells us that our sins are forgiven. It tells us that we can spend eternity with God. It tells us how to live holy and pursue God. It tells us who he is. It talks about his glory. Matthew 24, verse 35 says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, will not pass away. Jesus is the word. Gospel of John, chapter 1. Right? The word is true. We can wrestle with it. We can debate over it. We can, we can admit that we don't understand it all. I got that. I do. That's why, why I, I'm a, some days I'm scared to teach because I'm like, okay, I want to say this is true, but I don't really understand this sometimes. And so I try and be very transparent with you, as I think Pastor Brian does. So we're wrestling with this one. But sometimes we have, to, we have to come down somewhere. We just can't say, well, I don't know. It's a mystery, so let's just wing it. Let's not worry about doing it. No, we, we put something down, and by God's grace, if we learn more, we'll, we'll change, we'll move, but we, we are doing our best to rightly divide the word. So, we don't want to be foolish. We need to make sure we're listening, make sure we're in it. If you have any questions about the validity of it, dig. God says, test me in this. Go test me. Like, you don't trust me? Dig. Everybody that, that you've ever read about, we think about Lee Strobel, and there's so many more, that have sought out to disprove Scripture, disprove God, at the end of the day, have turned around and said, yep, it's true. <laughs> but see, the problem with most of us is, is we don't dig. It's easy to sit in the cheap seats and say, yeah, I don't believe that. And the first question you ought to ask somebody is say, have you ever read the Bible? Well, no. <laughs> okay, well, I really can't 
you know. I mean, we want to continue to evangelize. We want to share the truth of the gospel with them and trust that God is using that. But, it, but so much of us, because we don't want to dig, it's effort. And what's amazing to me is everything else in life that we want, we work hard for. We go to college for four years, six years, eight years to have a job that makes lots of money, to have prestige. We work two jobs to have that, that Camaro, that, that truck that's $60,000, $70,000. We, we do all sorts of things. We pay high insurance rates. We wax it. We wash it. We take care of it. We spend money on fixing it. Oh, the word of God? No, I'm just going to believe. and I don't, that's, don't worry about that. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm talking about myself here sometimes. Oh, foolish ones. You know, that truck is going to pass away. That job is going to end. But God's word will never pass away. Next step or takeaway. Just basically, you can fully trust the truth of the scriptures. That's what I want you to feel when you leave here today, that you can trust it. I'm not saying you have to understand them all. You work to understand them, but you can trust them. You can. You can. So when that hard moment comes and you're saying, oh, because believe me, it is hard to be obedient sometimes. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit works in us to give us the ability to be, be obedient. But it, it's hard. And so when we come to a text and, and it says, wow, that's true. And I'm saying, yeah, but, but that's going to hurt, Lord. I, I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to give in to that. I don't want to have to let that out of my life. I, I, you know? You love the Lord. You got it. That's why Jesus says you got to come and die. Like everybody that thinks that following Jesus is simple, and I've said this many times, they don't know what they're talking about. It's beautiful. It's glorious. It's the best thing you can ever do. But to say that it is simple and without pain is absolutely not true. Just ask the early disciples and the apostles. Following Jesus cost them their life. And so we get to a culture today, and, and I will tell you that I, I, even yesterday I read, I read an article, um, I forget what it was, just, you know, all the things, and, and I have these moments now, I'm thinking, you know, we're a fairly large church, and somebody could come in here and shoot me, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I know it's rare, and, but I mean, we're just entering into that culture, and it's on my mind more, I'm reading more articles, and I have to come to this place to say, yeah, okay, but I'm ready. Am I afraid? Because the tr- if I believe the truth of God, and God is put me in this position to do this thing, I should not be afraid of that. And that's true for all of you. When you share the gospel with someone and you may lose a friendship, you shouldn't be afraid of that. You shouldn't be afraid to share with your children. You shouldn't be afraid to go to church even if your spouse is not coming. Now, you shouldn't go home and beat them up and say, well, you should have been there. You're a sinner. Blah, 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 blah. No, you just go and say, hey, you want me to pick up lunch afterwards? I'll pick it up and I'll be right back, you know. But man, we just give in everywhere. We suppress the truth. We deny the truth so that we can have what we want. But you can firmly trust it. I'm going to read you two, two scriptures and I'll pray. I was not going to read this one, it's a long but Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. Now a lot of times when we talk to it in scripture, it talks about the law or the commandments or those things. It's always referring to the scriptures. So think about this in the context. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, 
enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteousness altogether. More to be desired they are than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. It's talking about the scriptures. They're beautiful, they're righteous, they're pure. They're, they're more beautiful than gold. I'll leave you with this last verse found in Proverbs. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. May you take refuge in him because he is the word. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Lord, I ask that you forgive us for our, our doubt, our disbelief. Sometimes our fear. Lord, I pray that you will strengthen us as your children, that we will do the hard work, though, Father. You've given us the word. You've prepared the field. We need to go plant it. We need to go till it and work it. And, Father, if we don't do that, what do we expect? So, Lord, help us to get out of our chair and do the hard work. Help us to dig and desire to pursue you in a love relationship, to get to know you better so that we can be better witnesses, that we can be tastier salt to the world. Help us to wrap all of that in love and grace as we share the beauty of who you are. Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray that we will stake our life on it because you gave your life to establish it and make it true. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in this place and in our hearts. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.